Canadian tennis fans, you are listening to Matchpoint Canada, the official podcast of Tennis Canada. We're also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we are just a few days away from main draw action for our last Grand Slam of the season, the U.S. Open. And I have to say, Mike, I'm really excited about the guests we have landed for this one. Yeah, this is a big one for us. And, uh, you know, we've we've talked to some pretty high profile tennis coaches in the past. But in terms of right now, the here and now for 2022, the U.S. Open, the final slam of the year, there's no coach who's going to have more attention on him than Eric Heckman, who is coaching uh, not only Venus Williams, as he's done for the past couple of years, but Serena Williams as well as she heads into what we believe is going to be the last Grand Slam of her illustrious career. So, we're uh, both pretty st- stoked. I know we had big smiles on our faces when we realized that Eric had some time for us just before the tournament was about to start. And um, and he shared some great tidbits with us about uh, both Williams sisters as uh, they headed into this major. Yeah, fantastic insights uh, from him on uh, Serena and Venus as they're heading in uh, to the final slam of the season and what we believe to be Serena's last ever tournament before she uh, officially retires. So, of course, a big one. Um, Why don't we throw right now to our interview with coach of Serena and Venus Williams, Eric Heckman. We're very excited to be joined on our U.S. Open preview episode by a guest who is such a well-respected tennis mind that he's been asked to simultaneously coach two of the greatest tennis legends of all time. His impressive resume includes playing at the University of Miami, being a professional player on the ATP, later a tennis club professional, and also a father of three. Uh, Now he's coaching both Serena and Venus Williams, and as the U.S. Open is about to get underway, we're thrilled to talk to Eric Heckman. Eric, welcome to Matchpoint Canada. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, we uh, we really appreciate the opportunity. And uh, I mean, Mike gave a great rundown of your pretty detailed background in the sport, obviously playing college tennis, uh, brief stint uh, as a pro, and, and then uh, venturing over to club professional, now coaching two of the greatest. Um, just in, in terms of your background in tennis, uh, was it something your parents played? And, and when did you kind of get into it and, and realize maybe this is something uh, you wanted to do further? Uh, no, actually there's, I'd say nobody in my family was really an athlete. So, um, I was, uh, I was a first and, um, tennis actually wasn't my first choice. It kind of by default, wasn't allowed to play football and, uh, and boxing was, I guess it was a little too dangerous. So, um, ended up being a tennis player, but I love the individualism of it and, uh, and haven't haven't left it since so seems like it was a uh, a good decision now as you uh you see what you've accomplished and, and looking back on things as well in your career as a coach and player uh gonna ask you of course there's been a lot of buzz in your life since earlier this summer I would imagine since you began coaching a, a second Williams sister what reaction have you received from people inside and outside of the tennis world since you've undertaken coaching Serena alongside her sister Venus yeah, I mean, I think it's it's been a good amount, you know. So it's uh, it is unusual on the tour to coach two players and and uh, and kind of kind of just happened. Um, and it's it's mainly mainly due to Venus, you know. So I've got a very very good and strong relationship with Venus. She's she's awesome as a person, as a friend, and uh, and it kind of kind of went from there. So. 
of course, uh, so many different coaches have have different personalities, different philosophies. Is there something that you, uh, I guess, consistently bring in terms of your your coaching philosophy on court? And is that something you ever have to adapt when maybe you know your your two clients are, are two of the most high profile stars in in our sport? Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's different aspects to coaching. Um, I'd say my personality is my personality, but um, you know, there's different ways I approach them when I talk to them. They have different games uh, to a certain extent and, uh, and how I coach them from a technical, strategic and, and aspect. I mean, I'd say myself, I'm, I am kind of to the point, direct and uh, a little more probably laid back, not, not the in-your-face type of coach equating it to basketball equated more to like a Phil Jackson versus uh versus uh Bobby Knight so so if you had to kind of make two contrasts well that's that's uh that's funny that you said that you're you're to the point because I was uh, reading a piece um by Christopher Clary in the New York Times uh your your longtime friend Evan was quoted in that story calling you brutally honest I, I suppose have you always been wired wired that way and is that messaging ever ever tough to get a, get across to certain players especially when they are of such high pedigree yeah I mean today I actually had um it's like a eight or nine year old kid can that I that I've coached when I'm in Miami at, at my club and his dad sent me this article uh, actually a YouTube video Tony Nadal talking about you know I guess he sent it to me for a purpose that uh, he's talking about how it's good to tell people the truth you know and I think uh, I think it's always been something as a coach as a player that you know you can you can beat around it but if you don't face the music at some point you know whatever the problem is whatever the positive is all you're ending up doing is avoiding the inevitable so you know that's just uh everyone's got their quirk and that's mine and you know so far with these two i think i think that's appreciated and uh sometimes it's not but it's it is who i am you know so I would imagine they're pretty direct in, in reverse as well with you at times, right? Absolutely. And I, and I appreciate that as well. You know, Venus is, Venus is very direct and, and straight to the point. And I think that's, that's why we connect so well. You mentioned earlier how close a relationship you've developed with Venus over the years, not just as coach, but as, as friend as well. Uh, what's it been like since working with Serena, albeit on a shorter sample size here so far, just this summer, What's impressed you the most with her in the short time you've been her coach? Yeah, I mean, they're definitely different. Um, Serena, I'd say it's more um, her intensity um, when she gets out there. You know, you can uh, you can feel her presence, and it's, you know, it's just from her warm up with her uh, with her wardrobe and everything. You can feel it's like that boxer coming straight into that ring with that energy ready ready to go ready to throw some blows so um yeah i mean in tennis you always as a coach you always try to teach intensity that's one thing you definitely don't have to teach to serena williams it's it's there every second of every practice i caught the uh, last practice that she had uh, here in toronto before her match against belinda bencic and uh, there was just such a buzz around the stadium and around the grounds and of course serena chose uh, that time while she was in Toronto to drop a pretty big uh, revelation on uh, the tennis world, the sporting world at large. 
what was your reaction to Serena's retirement announcement? And how does it change now how you work with her as she approaches the finish line of her magnificent career? Yeah, I mean, uh, a good friend of mine that I had worked with, uh, Prim Sirapat, um, she actually, uh, you know, she, she does a lot of different pieces on this, uh, on how players exit the sport from retirement. And Serena and Venus are both unique in the way that Serena approaches, I think, is unique in her own style obviously in in her own uh, narrative and you know I think it's I think it's great it's 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 what she wants to do and you know she came in on her terms she's going out on her terms and uh, as I coach her I, I I know it's a lot of big moments every time you step into a match you know thinking hey this is my last one in Canada this is my last one here but she's had so many great moments in each place, I think it's I think it's a way to enjoy um, each of these moments. Now, once you've accomplished what she's accomplished, it's a, it, it alleviates a lot of pressure, right? You won the U.S. Open countless times, Wimbledon countless times, Toronto, Cincinnati. So, as you go through these events, and you're like, hey, you know, I've been there, I've done that, I've won it. You know, it's uh, it's it's pretty cool the way that she's going about it. Yeah, you, you touched on her incredible intensity, which uh, Mike mentioned we, we saw in, in practice uh, in Toronto. Um, I, I suppose maybe you could could you talk a little bit about her mindset at this stage now that it is public that she will be retiring. Is there any change in how she's approaching things things at all, or is it or is it pretty kind of business as usual? I think it's very very much the same. You know, I think that's something obviously that she decided, and you know unbelievable career from 15 years old to 40 incredible right so um i think she's going about it in a very similar fashion i know she's busy with all the business that she's got going on so i'm sure that's you know that's a little stressful but as far as tennis is concerned same as if she was popping in there and she was 25 years old you know so same focus same details, everything's the same. And uh, of course, U.S. Open now uh, our final slam of the season. We saw Serena hitting with uh, Maria Sakkari the the other day. There was some footage of that. Just um, wanted your overall thoughts on on the women's field this season. Uh, of course, uh, we know there's a lot of parity on the WTA. We know Iga Swiatek's had a, an incredible year. Any any players in mind? Maybe you would view as as top favorites, or, or how are you looking at it? Yeah, I mean. I was talking about this with uh, Jarmir today, um, and uh, man, it's so open, you know. So if I had to pick a favorite, I, I don't even think I really could. I mean, you can go through and you can see that uh, Caroline Garcia just won, uh, just won Cincinnati. I mean, you can't ever count out Saka. You can't count out Serena. You can't count out Venus. Um, you can't count out Swiatek. I mean, there's you can go down the list. I could probably create a list of 40 players that can make an argument that could win this tournament. They could lose first round, right? So it's uh, the parity in the field is is incredible, and there's going to be incredible matches all the way from the first round up until the final. So I think that's actually what's so interesting about the women's game. You know, the when the guys game, you got Roger and. Novak and Rafa in there 
you basically are like, okay, you know, these guys, at least one or two of them the lock, right? You go into the women's field and it's like, who's coming out of there? And yeah, it's great, you know, to have those big names at the end of the tournament for the fans, et cetera, because, you know, people relate to them. But as far as growing tennis, it's great. You know, if I'm, if I'm a young girl out there and I'm eight, nine years old and you have so many different winners of each WTA tournament, I wish, I wish I knew how many different WTA winners there were in 2022. I, I bet you the figure is staggering and even 2021. So, you know, if you put that out there, if I'm a young girl, I'm like, man, I can do this. I can, I can break through. I can be a professional tennis player, champion, et cetera. So it's, it's interesting. And having it uh, somewhat wide open like that is going to lend to people speculating of, of what Serena can do in her last U S open, of course. And any tennis fan would, would love to see her push into the tournament a little bit here. What would be a successful U S open in your mind for, for her and, and also for Venus um, at this stage? Yeah. I mean, look, you know, I mean, a question like that, obviously as a champion, successful U S open is winning the tournament. Right. But as a coach, it's just taking care of what's in front of you in that moment and not looking too far ahead, preparing tonight, eating healthy, relaxing, waking up tomorrow, preparing for practice the way, right way, having a good practice with a good purpose, finishing your practice properly, getting your cool down done the right way. So each detail as you enter one of these major tournaments, you know, from a week in advance is very important to put you in the right mind frame, physical, um, so yeah, I mean that's it's easy to, and that, I'm sure it's racing through their heads at some point, right? But uh, but they kind of lock those thoughts out. They just have to stay in the moment each day and in each in each second. So I think they will. Speaking of preparation, as I was getting ready to speak with you today alongside Ben, going through possible questions, my kids were asking me, "Dad, who are you interviewing tonight on the podcast?" I said, "Oh, Serena and, and Venus Williams' coach, actually." And my older son, who's turning nine next month, uh, said to me, Daddy coaches both of them. What if they have to play each other? And uh, as unlikely a scenario as that seems, you know, full disclosure, we're recording this before the draw has been revealed. Uh, what would your reaction be? You know, God forbid they had to play each other at some point here. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'd rather them not play each other. Um, if they do, I, I had talked about that with Venus a little bit, um, kind of what her dad had done, et cetera. And, you know, one approach could be not to go to the match. Um, and, you know, that way there's no point of reference for either girl to look at their coach. And the other one is to not sit in anybody's camp and kind of sit far away in the stands and be able to observe and watch the match. But, you know, it, it is what it is. If it happens, it's, it's luck of the draw, right? So hopefully it doesn't happen. If it does, um, you know, I've done my best to prepare each of them, and I'm going to be fair to both of them. You get a seat high up top on Ash where no one can spot you. <laughs> yeah. Hat, glasses, maybe a wig, <laughs> Full disguise. mustache, the whole thing, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, you mentioned um, 
early on how you love the individualism of tennis. Uh, I love that aspect too. And it's been a bit of a hot button top topic, I think, this season. Uh, coaching from the sidelines, how much a role should a coach maybe be able to play for their player? We see it on the WTA where uh, a coaching timeout can exist outside of the slams. Uh, I guess, what's your stance on that? Do you believe a coach should be able to chat with their player for a couple of minutes or should it be entirely sort of hands-off? Yeah, I mean, I honestly see see both perspectives. And um, I kind of entered the tour right when uh, you're allowed to start calling your player out to the court. And Venus had called me out there in Toronto the first time we went in 2019 and in Cincinnati. So I think, I think as far as at the end of the day, if I were a player, I don't know if I'd really want to be coached because I'd want as a going through tennis, I've always – thought of things in, in my own way. And I, I like the process of figuring it out. And if somebody sometimes while I'm competing is telling me something, maybe it breaks my train of thought. Right. And I'm, I'm different sometimes than a lot of other players might be. Right. Maybe they're just going on instinct and they're not thinking um, at the same time. Right. At the end of the day, it's a sport and all athletes at the end of the day are entertainers for the fans. So having the option for it is great for the game, in my opinion, right? Having maybe a coach mic'd up and talking from the stands, or I personally like it better how each player at the WTA tour had uh, a coach being able to be called to the court. And that, you know, I remember with a few players, you have some heated exchanges, right? The player yelling at the coach and, sometimes some great exchanges and sometimes some match changing. It's, it's entertaining, you know? Um, so I think it's at the end of the day for the sport, it's a good thing. Would I want it personally? Probably not, but you know, that's why, that's why I can see both sides, but I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm a tennis purist. Everything changes in the world from tennis going forward. Right. And, you know, all, all you can do is look at something and say, hey, is this for the better or for the worse? And if it's for the better, you know, you got to adapt and change, right? That's that's just my approach. No, that's that's a fantastic perspective. You had me thinking back to a few years ago where when our Canadian Bianca Andrescu had a, a little coaching pep talk pep talk from former coach Sylvain Bruneau in the late stages of the uh, Indian Wells final. And it seemed to inspire her to, to come back and, and defeat Angelique Kerber in, in three sets. I, I guess just to quickly follow up on, on that, if you are getting called, like, are you going, are you diving into tactics or maybe are, are you saying something um, that, that would just kind of giving off like positive energy or, or how would you approach that if you are called over by Venus or Serena? Thank you. It could be either, right? Um, and that's where knowing your player, knowing how they'd react in a competitive moment and watching some of their practice sets and tournaments can kind of give you a feel. Sometimes there's a match where there's, and it's easy to see from the stands because you're not playing, right? An obvious tactic that they should maybe employ. Sometimes it's the player kind of hurting themselves. Maybe they're upset, maybe they're nervous, maybe they're doubting themselves, whatever it might be. And then that's the emotional coaching good coach will figure out what information to relay and not overcoach in the sense that, okay, here's your tactic. Here's your mental, you know, you go through like 10 different things and then the player short circuited in that one minute to 30 seconds and they don't know, know what happens to them. So in that example that you gave, 
you know, I, I remember that, you know, that's, that's how a coach can help change a match. Right. So yeah, no, I, um, I think it completely varies based on the player and the situation. I, I have to ask so, because sorry, Mike. Go ahead. <laughs> I have to ask because uh, people are going to speculate. Is there is there any chance we could see uh, a potential Venus Serena doubles pairing at the U.S. Open? Um, there's, you know, I'm not going to say there's not a chance. I'm not going to say it's going to happen. So, um, okay. you know, I think you, me, and the rest of the world would love to see it happen. You know, and the reality there, I don't know. I haven't calculated how many years they've been on tour, but, you know, they're probably the two oldest and, you know, they're doing everything they can to prepare. And, and I think if they could play, I think that's something they would always want to do as you've seen through their careers. So only, uh, only time will tell. And, you know, if they don't play, you know, they're still going to be both out there in this U S open playing singles for sure. Reading that Vogue magazine article, which was so powerful, so impactful, um, didn't specify exactly when Serena would hang up the racket, although I think most of us kind of figured it would be at the end of this U.S. Open. Um, is this her, her last tournament um, as a professional tennis player here? Um, yeah, look, uh, I don't want to exactly speak for her again. You know, I'll let her do the speaking for herself. The way I read it, 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 it seems like that, you know. Um, so, you know, but... I'd say like she doesn't want to define it as retirement. I wouldn't want to either. And you saw with uh, another great uh, Tom Brady goes and he announces her as retirement and then just misses the game. Right. And before you know it, he's back out there in training camp and, and playing. So these elite elite athletes. And if you love to do it, you want to continue to do it. I'd say there's the door is never closed and not opening, never jammed. It's a good point. Um, like, you just you never know what could happen next, especially in tennis. There's been a history of players coming back as well, so I guess nothing would really yeah. surprise us. No, We've been, I mean, who knows, right? So we focused a lot of our questions on Serena, obviously, because we feel like you know time is is running out here um, for her. But um, uh, how does her retirement announcement uh, does it have any impact on on Venus and what she does next? Have you guys discussed uh, what the two of you, since you've been coaching her? For a much longer time uh what happens beyond this year's us open you know i don't really discuss that with her um and venus kind of flies under the radar but man you know you know i i would say yes serena is the greatest player of all time in my opinion and i'd put venus at number two um because if you really go through it and you're like okay how many finals did venus lose to serena how many semis, how many, you know, and Venus has beat her plenty of times too, right? But for everything Venus has overcome from her syndrome, you know, to battling her sister and still maintaining an unbelievable relationship, it's, it's not easy. And she still has won seven slams, right? I don't know, in singles, right? Let alone doubles, mixed doubles, three events in the tournament and winning all of them. So... She's just, I feel like, I do feel like she's a little underappreciated for, for all that she's accomplished. There's no doubt, you know, but, um, but class act, I mean, the, the ultimate class act, right? You know, I'd equivalent her, you know, you got Roger on the guy side, you got Venus on the woman's side, right? Like, 
of equals, in my opinion. Well said. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad we're not glossing over the doubles. I always point out that 14 and 0 in Grand Slam doubles finals without dropping a set. I, I don't think that's ever going to be matched in in tennis history, to be honest. Un unbelievable, right? I mean, you know, people people look at them and they just talk about the singles. I mean, they're in my opinion, they're the greatest doubles team ever, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you know, you walk out there and you get that many wins and people don't even look at the mixed doubles right you can only play yeah. mixed doubles in grand slams so hey let me let me pick you as my partner and, you know not let me a, play not a singles a, match a doubles match yeah. and a mixed doubles match all in the same day right so no kidding yeah absolutely dominant well eric um thank you so much uh, for taking the time giving us not only your your coaching perspective uh, but sh but sharing some fantastic insights on two of the greatest uh, players to ever play the game serena and venus williams and uh good luck at this year's us open thanks guys looking forward to it and uh have a great night appreciate it and especially on the cusp and the eve of the us open for you to take the time like this amidst uh, coaching not just one but two superstar players um, yeah, it makes us appreciate your time even more. Cheers. Appreciate it, guys. Have a great night. There you have it, our conversation with Eric Heckman, who understandably speaks so highly of his two high-profile clients, Serena and Venus Williams. And uh, I, I loved his insights on the coaching. He seems to have a great perspective of, you know, just talking about the ideas of on-court coaching, hands-off and hands-on, him being brutally honest, which is always important, and uh, just also mentioning the intensity that he's seen in Serena Williams from the get-go. Like, he never needs to draw any intensity out of her. It, it's there immediately, which, which I found so fascinating. Absolutely. And, uh, and I found him in contrast to be like very chill and, mm. and very kind of calm and methodical in speaking about, you know, the arrangement of coaching them both simultaneously and how it came about. And like, look, if it were me and I was coaching the two greatest female or, or tennis players, you could argue for sure of all time, I would be losing my, you know, what every day, like, Oh my God, I'm Serena and Venus's coach. Like, I don't think I'd ever come down from, from that cloud. And uh, obviously this is why, he's uh, the right guy for the job because he's taking it in stride and has a strong relationship with both of them um, as well. So um, yeah, I like the glimpse into that, that coaching mentality, very analytical mm -hmm. and you could tell why he would make a, a great coach, just the way he sort of interpreted our questions and analyzed them. And, and I thought he gave some really great insightful um, answers to us. Yeah. And it's interesting. He's been working with Venus since 2019 and essentially came very highly recommended to Serena by Venus. Uh, she thought that would be a great fit. We know, of course, Patrick Moradoglu moved on after 10 plus years uh, alongside Serena Williams, now coaching Simona Halep. We didn't know the coaching situation probably for a few months there with Serena. Of course, we didn't know when or if she was going to come back, but she's back on the tour, one final push, and having Heckman in her corner helps. And I guess, Mike, if we sort of glimpse ahead to the draw for Serena Williams at this US Open, what are your initial thoughts well first of all now that we've seen the draw you and i just after speaking with eric heckman we know that serena and venus will not be playing each other in the first round could you imagine That's what right. that would have what that would have been like so yeah uh, i enjoyed his answer about how he might have to go incognito at the top of ash stadium if they if they faced each other while well, they're in opposite halves of the draw so clearly we're not going to be getting that matchup um, but I think for, I mean, talking about Serena, first and foremost, given, you know, that the, the focus is really going to be on her this tournament, 
I don't think she could have landed in a better spot in the draw in the sense that she's up against Donka uh, Kovinich in the first uh, match, and she's ranked 80th in the world on the WTA and hasn't exactly been lighting it up lately. So I think this is as good a first-round match Serena could get, considering she could have faced anyone. She could have been up against Iga. She could have been up against uh, any of the top 10 players or someone coming in on a hot streak like a Caroline Garcia. This is a terrific opening match. And then her second-round match, you might normally say, well, she might play the second seed in the tournament. Hold on, this isn't good. But Annette Condovate is not playing, and we've talked about this lately, is not playing nearly the same level of tennis that she played a year ago. So I think she Mm -hmm. is... I don't want to say ripe for the picking, but I feel like she's in a bit of a fragile state right now. And even beyond that, you tell me what you think, but I think that section of the drive just got a big question mark in terms of who's going to come out of that one. Yeah, I think you're certainly right. That appears to be one of the most open quarters of, of any of the quarters in the women's field. And as you said, I think very winnable first match against Donka Kovinic, who has been really struggling uh, this season since I, I believe she won a couple matches at the French Open and really hasn't won a match since. And uh, I don't really see that many weapons in her arsenal, particularly on hardcore, that's going to trouble Serena if she can find her groove early. Then, as you said, like Annette Contivate, I, I think she's a, a fabulous player, but the way she's playing is in no way reflective of that number two next to her name. Uh, and she struggled badly in Toronto and Cincinnati. So she hasn't really found her form leading into the U S open. And oddly enough, she's just never really had a good slam result, um, which is, which is unusual to me. You'd think she would have one, but certainly her confidence can't be particularly high going in. And then just a couple other names in that corner too: Martina Trevisan, not so dangerous as a hardcore player, Barbara Krejcikova. She hasn't played particularly, particularly well at all this season. Then I uh, move up a little bit and I think, hey, Layla Annie Fernandez, who hasn't been playing her best, might be in a, a good corner of this uh, bracket as well. Right. And Layla Annie Fernandez, obviously, we're, we're all, you know, in Canada here rooting for her and hoping that she has a, a strong return to the tournament that really put her on the map for many tennis fans outside of our country last year. But she hasn't had a lot of match play lately, so she's not nearly close to, you know, where she is when she's had her peak. So Mm -hmm. this could go both ways if you look at it through a Serena lens and you get carried away a little bit. And why not get carried away if you're a Serena fan? Because this could be the last time you're able to do so. You got to say, hey, this is probably the best little section that she could find herself in. And if you're a Layla Fernandez fan, you're also saying, hey, this is also a great opportunity to get the wheels going, get the confidence going again, and, and go on a little bit of a run. So um, very excited to watch what Serena can do here. Um, so much to say about her career. And I think we'll leave that probably till our recap episode of the tournament in a couple of weeks time. Um, but one last comment on Eric Heckman. Uh, and again, so great to have him join us on the cusp of the U.S. Open. Uh, this gig that he's he's had with Serena and Venus is going to make him a heck of a hot commodity mm-hmm. on the uh, coaching circuit. Uh, once uh, Venus also decides to hang up the racket. There's going to be no shortages of offers coming his way after what he's done here. Yeah, I think he's going to have a lot of opportunities, so much so that maybe he can do um, a little picking and choosing uh, in terms of players he might be interested in in working for. Uh, Absolutely. He'll be one of the most hottest commodities, I I think, on on the coaching carousel right now. And uh, Venus Williams, I'll just mention, faces Allison Van Oitvank in 
her opening round match, which you could say is potentially winnable as well. Just sort of looking at our Canadians in the field, and I want to say it's great that Rebecca Marino doesn't need to go through qualifying this time. She is in the main draw, which is fantastic. Bianca Andrescu, um, in terms of her draw, she's facing Harmony Tan uh, to open, who of course actually defeated Serena Williams in that first round at Wimbledon. Then after that, if she can get through Harmony Tan, which certainly she'll be the favorite, I, I think things get a little more complicated where we see names like Beatrice Haddad Maya, who of course had that fantastic run in Toronto uh, just a couple weeks ago, reaching the final. Um, other names sort of in her section, Caroline Garcia, who just won Cincinnati. So there are some dangerous players in her small section there, and she's also on the bottom half of the draw. I got to tell you, Ben, when I look at the draw for the Canadians, I'm feeling pretty good about where all three of them have landed, to be honest with you. I mean, Rebecca yeah, Marino fair. being in the main draw without having to go through qualifying is just a, a further sign of the progress she's made over the past couple of years. And good for her. I mean, she's really earned this the way she's been battling through uh, uh, yeah, ITF matches and and lower level tournaments and, and what she's been able to do since coming back to the game. And and I think, you know, yeah, she could get Simona Halep round two. But just the fact that, hey, if she can win that first round match and get that prize money and those ranking points, that in itself, such a huge victory for her. Layla Annie, as we mentioned, she's got a nice draw as the 14th seed. Starts against, um, from France, Ocean Dodin. Um, Krejcikova as the 23rd seed in that section, also very much um, there for the taking. And then if we look at Bianca's, who has arguably the most difficult of the three, as you mentioned, look, if she goes up against Haddad Maya, uh, the Brazilians never made it past round two at a major before. Right. So it doesn't have the Grand Slam uh, pedigree, you know, to perhaps feel as confident in a moment like that. And Garcia in potentially a third round match, that'd be a rematch from their grass court final earlier this summer, which was very competitive. Mm-hmm. And I think Andrescu is on the, the cusp of uh, a, a very solid result in a big tournament. She's one of six former singles champions in the women's draw, along with Sloane Stevens, Naomi Osaka, Emma Raducanu, and of course, Serena and Venus Williams. And that's got to give her confidence being back somewhere where just three years ago, she was the last one standing. Yeah. And look, even last season, if you reflect on the fact that she played the U.S. Open last year and we know mentally she was in a really bad headspace, which she's revealed, and she still made the round of 16. (laughs) I mean, she still won three matches there confidently. And if I remember correctly, in the round of 16, went three sets with Maria Zachary. Uh, She was still incredibly competitive. And as you say, like, I I do think she is on the cusp of, of a breakout. She should have great feelings, good vibes, returning to the site of that 2019 title. Uh, We spoke about it just speaking to her in Toronto, how she seems like she's such in such a good headspace mentally, uh, physically. I I know there were a couple concerns from uh, what happened, maybe the tournament before Toronto, but she took Cincinnati off. You think she would be fresh and yeah, if she can get past maybe that, that first, uh, first kind of couple roadblocks, maybe she gets rolling and she gets the opportunity to perhaps challenge a Simona Halep kind of later on in this quarter that I think that would be an incredible result for her. I still put her in my, maybe just outside top 10 picks to, to win the open and okay. Yeah. Top 10 picks. But when you look at the women's draw, there's so many players that could be in contention and mm-hmm. I put her on the cusp there, and especially if she gets through a couple of those first matches, you know, watch the, the confidence grow and, and see what she could do. We saw it in Toronto. She knocked off Kasakina, who'd been playing some some great ball in the first round in a, in a great match. 
Um, Alize Cornet was no easy second round opponent either. Yep. And so, um, yeah, I think the results are going to come and uh, wouldn't surprise me if she, she did progress through this draw. Now we got to look at our favorites for this tournament. And clearly if we'd been talking, you know, even a month ago, I think we would have said Igus Fiontech without mm -hmm. a doubt, but now that's not so sure. And uh, I, I don't see her hoisting the trophy. I don't have Iga as my pick to be standing at the end of the, the two weeks in New York. Who do you like when you look at favorites and what do you think of Igus Fiontek, the, the number one in the world here? Yeah, look, uh, I thought she would right the ship in Cincinnati after the disappointment of Toronto. Really brutal, windy conditions when she lost that three-set match to Beatrice Hadamaya, but she didn't gain any momentum from Cincinnati either. And I, I wasn't thinking she needs to go and win the title, but I wanted to see, you know, maybe three, two, three good match wins, and we didn't see it. She should have no issue with that first round, I think, against Jasmine Polini, but then it might get tough with Sloan Stevens. Uh, up in her section, you have Amanda Anisimova, who is always dangerous, especially on a hard court. She can, you know, hit through anybody. Uh, who knows about Zhang Xinwen could be in that section and come through. I think there are a lot of players who could give her trouble, especially Jessica Pagula is actually also on that top half in that quarter. She could be really dangerous. So Iga is not my pick to win. My pick to win, it feels just safe in the sense that I'm pretty convinced this player can go deep in the tournament. I'm not certain she's going to win the title, but the tennis she's been playing, really building up since Wimbledon too. Simona Halep seems like a reliable player to at least make, you know, the top eight and maybe the final four. And if someone's going to beat her, they're going to have to play uh, a brilliant couple sets of tennis. And and the tennis I saw from Simona Halep in Toronto, she was the most consistent of any player I watched. And she will be my pick to go all the way. Yeah, if she's feeling healthy and fit, um, then then I've got her going to the finals in the bottom half. I mean, I'd love to see that quarterfinal potentially against Andrescu. Uh, and, then I've just got, and then I've just got <laughs> question marks in the bottom quarter. So who knows who she'll face? But I think that's a safe pick. And and I really like what I've seen from Jessica Pagula this summer, making, uh, what, the semis in Toronto, the quarters in Cincy. Yep. Uh, won the doubles here in Toronto as well that we got to see. So to me, um, I, I could see her making the finals here. And I'm going to throw one more in there, and that's Belinda Bencic, who I think nice. is the 13th seed has a very nice draw too. I mean, she may come up against Karolina Pliskova, who has not played her best tennis this summer. Uh, Paula Badosa is the fourth seed there, but I don't even expect her to make it to the fourth round the way that the, the Spaniards been playing. Uh, Sabalenka's erratic. Radicanu, mm -hmm. I don't see repeating, you know, anything close to last summer. And that's not a knock against her. That's just a reality right now. So I think Benchich and Pagula, I've got them in my upper semifinals and uh, we'll, we'll see what comes of it. How about some dark horse players, someone who's perhaps outside the top 10 that uh, that we could see uh, having a deep run, maybe not winning the tournament, but uh, but going deeper than anticipated? Yeah, sure. Um, well, certainly, I mean, I, I touched on her briefly, but just the, the quality of tennis I saw her playing in Toronto, uh, even in that win over Andrescu, which is three sets, a great night match. Zhang Xinwen, who's still just 19 years old, um, she's a remarkable talent. Uh, her skills at the baseline, the way she moves around the court, powerful serve, very consistent player. And I know she's in, you could say, a tough section because Iga's there, Anisimova is there, but you know, Iga is not her sharpest right now. Anisimova, I don't really know where her form is at now. I wouldn't be stunned by Zhang making a, round, a, a run to the second week uh, based on what I've seen from her. That's kind of a dark horse pick of mine. She's unseated in this tournament. And the other uh, pick I will make, 
Uh, she came through qualifying and played great in Toronto. And uh, she looked good in Cincinnati, actually beat Coco Goff too, as uh, Marie Boskova, who you, of course, had the honor of speaking to. And we have an interview with her on one of our NBO podcasts. But uh, she's also unseated. I think she could cause problems for Carolina Pliskova in the second round. And she's so scrappy, defends the court incredibly well. And uh, she's made runs at slams in the past. So those are a couple dark horse picks I'm at least looking at. Yeah, both good picks. I like those and I mean we saw what um we saw what Zheng was capable of doing when she knocked off Andrescu which I think yeah. stunned a lot of people especially 6-2 in that third set so only 19 years old lots of potential there uh for me Caroline Garcia and I think a lot of people will be saying this boy she's been playing absolutely terrific comes in as the, as the 17th seed and we talked about her a lot last week on the podcast she's got a decent draw as well um I, I would have liked to say Anisimova but um very odd some of her uh, matches lately and the score lines too i mean she went out to a couple of breadsticks here in in toronto not too long mm-hmm. ago um so not feeling as confident about her as i would have maybe a few weeks ago um I, i've got madison keys as one as well she's made obviously the finals in in new york before i don't like her draw as much as i i would have um but uh i i oddly enough uh when she had her great semi-final run at the aussie open to start the year i i kind of took a flyer and put 10 bucks on her to win the u.s open just on a lark, and I don't often put money down on tennis, I should say. But uh, I've got that bet still out there, and nice. uh, so, so part of me deep down has that you know little extra motivation too, as she was like a ninety-three to one favorite when I put the <laughs> money down. Uh, so who knows? But um, yeah, it's going to be pretty wide open, I think, on the women's side. It's going to be super entertaining. Again, great matches from the get-go, and uh, as we've mentioned, the Canadians, I think, will will have their opportunities uh, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I'll just quickly mention, like, I had planned to discuss Coco Goff and her chances in this tournament, and the only reason I haven't been discussing her as a one of my contenders to win is because she's in that section with Simona Halep, and Halep has simply dominated that head to head. Uh, so and recently too. And recently, too, we have uh, just recently in Toronto, a straight sets win where Goff did push a little bit in the second, and that's a potential round of 16 match. So, I mean, I would love if we see a rematch of that as well and maybe coco finally solves the uh, simona halla puzzle but for now that's why i'm not uh, picking coco goff as someone who's making the finals uh, at this tournament yeah and coco is going to solve a lot of puzzles as she continues to develop sure. as a professional tennis player and, oh, yeah. and uh, no doubt grand slam contender in years to come yeah um without a doubt should we shift over to the men's side Let's do it. Let's. Uh, you yeah. want to start with the Canadians there too, then maybe. Yeah, let's start with the Canadians. Uh, firstly, we can start with uh, Felix Oje Aliassim, who is our top-ranked Canadian and lands on the top half of the draw with that sixth seed. And I, although qualifiers can be difficult, I, I'd say like if I'm a seeded player, I would like to see that I'm facing a qualifier first. So I, I think he's landed with a nice first round uh, opponent, even though we don't know who that opponent is. And from there, things look, I want to say, relatively comfortable for the first couple matches. He might face uh, Emil Ruzivori from Finland, who can be dangerous, but I'd certainly favor favorite favor Felix there Karen Hatchinoff who's been a bit inconsistent past couple seasons that could be a third round and then maybe it starts getting a little bit more interesting the match I'm thinking could happen is Carreño Busta your champion in Montreal maybe facing Felix in the round of 16 like Felix's draw a lot and if I'm Felix you mentioned he's going to like seeing that qualifier as his first round opponent you know what else he's going to like seeing that number six next to his name which oh yeah 
kind of floored me like my goodness we've got the six seeded player in the draw and i realized that's a little bit higher than his ranking not by much mind you because mm-hmm. of the absence of novak djokovic who's not there and uh and zverev as well but my goodness isn't that you know something to be proud of that we've got a canadian who is so highly seated at this grand slam tournament and i like his draw uh pcb obviously in the fourth round would be a a, a tough one especially given how he's played. Uh, I mean, what he did in Montreal was pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Um, but Felix, I've got him penciled into the quarterfinals. That's where he should get based on his seeding. And I think also based on his play here last summer, this is where he comfortably has shown he he can do this. Um, from there, who do we have? A Medvedev, a Kyrgios. Uh, let's not count out RBA, Roberto Bautista Agu as well up there. Um, but I like Felix's chances. He should make it to the second week. and um, And that's something that, as a player who wants to be in the top 10 as a permanent fixture there, you're going to be expected to do that. Yeah. And I was, you just had me thinking of that, that number six next to his name. Surely that must be the highest seed a Canadian men's player has had probably since the Milos Raonic peak, you would think, right. Uh, right. Who of course got, got to world number three. So, you know, he should, he should carry some confidence with that six next to his name in terms of his hard court swing leading in. I think he was solid, but can be better. Of course, quarterfinals in Montreal before that kind of surprising, ugly loss to Casper Ruud and then quarterfinals in Cincinnati with a big win over Sinner lost to Borna Chorich, who kind of beat absolutely everybody that week. So I, I think he should have a lot of confidence. It's a nice first week, as you said, and I like his chances to make the quarter as well. It's just, can he overcome a hurdle, which is Daniil Medvedev? He does not have a, a win over Medvedev. He had a match point against him earlier this season at the Australian Open. So if we see a rematch there, that would be fascinating. You know, Nick Kyrgios certainly has a potential to, to come out of that quarter as well. Let's look at Denis Shapovalov, the other seeded player too here, who comes in as, as number 19. And I think for Shapo as well, uh, best case scenario where he's landed Absolutely. in this draw. I mean, yes, he's in the quarter with Rafa Nadal. Okay, fair enough. He showed what he could do with Rafa at the Aussie Open, although the outcome didn't exactly go his way, but it sure was close. Uh, and here he is opening up against Mark andrea Wesler from uh, Switzerland. Got to say, I don't know a whole much about this guy, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and then even beyond that, a couple of guys who are more known for their clay court prowess in the second round. Uh, Andre Rublev, who hasn't exactly been lighting it up, he went one and two between the Montreal Cincy back-to-back. So I think if you're Denis Shapovalov and you're reminding yourself that, hey, recently I've beat Grigor Dimitrov as well as, um, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank. Who else did he beat there in Cincy? Uh, Tommy um, Paul. Thank you, Tommy Paul. Uh, you're feeling as confident as you felt in many, many months coming into the Open. Yeah, honestly, I, I don't think I could uh, carve out a better draw for Dennis Shapovalov in the early going here. Uh, Husler from Switzerland, who um, surely he should take care of, though you never know. Uh, but that that's a great first round draw. And as you said, second round, you're likely dealing, you'll have a Spanish player who's a clay quarter, whether it's Munar or Carbias Baena. They're not hardcore players. Uh, so Dennis should be a heavy favorite there. And then, yeah, Andre Rublev has been slumping uh, for the past while. Of course, he didn't get the opportunity to play Wimbledon. You'd think hard courts is where he does the bulk of his damage, but it was a very poor North American swing for him, losing to Dan Evans in straight sets. He did have a win over Fanini the other week before exiting to Taylor Fritz in a tough three-set match, but Andre Rublev is certainly beatable right now. You know, 
he and Dennis are two great talented players who are kind of searching for their form in a sense. So I, I would love if that's the third round encounter after that, I would say it would get a little more challenging if you have to face someone like uh, Cam Norrie from Britain, who is generally quite consistent and reliable in terms of his results. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's, it's funny that you mentioned Milos there a few minutes ago, kind of off the, um, <clears throat> pardon me, off the, off the radar. Cause he's been gone for so long now. And uh, Milos never did as well as we thought he would in, in this part of the swing at the U S mm-hmm. open, his body kind of by this point of the year, I think was, was kind of battered, but my goodness, I hope we see him at the start of next year. I hope having a little bit of time off to recover physically. Um, he's had some great personal news getting married this past summer. Yep. Um, I, I really would love to see him sort of, yeah, get back to the training in the off season if he's able to hopefully come out, uh, you know, fresh and, and ready to give it uh, one last go. He's only 31 years old. It's not like he's over the hill. And uh, it would be really great to have him along with Felix and Dennis to give them a little bit more mentorship, which I think they could benefit from at times. And, uh, you know, those top three guys for our country match up, I think, against any other top three in any other country in the world. I still think Milos could be a top 20 guy if he's fit and healthy. Oh, absolutely. Uh, he's he's proven that through through the course of his career when he is fit and healthy, uh, consistently putting up fantastic results. Just uh, touching on, I, I guess, a little bit more that quarter with Shapovalov and even the bottom half. Rafael Nadal, of course, the number two seed here. Early thoughts on his draw, I have to say it's quite favorable, I would say. He'll face uh, Rinki Hijikata of Austria in the first round, who's a wild card. Nadal will be a massive favorite there. Karatsev or Fanini could be second round. Fanini's given Nadal some some headaches in the past, but both players are out of form. Kekmanovic could be lurking. He looked strong early part of the season. Diego Schwartzman in that corner. But uh, I have to say, in terms of Rafael Nadal, who had injury and health concerns uh, post-Wimbledon and didn't look sharp in Cincinnati, he has a pretty cushy first week, I feel. Yeah, absolutely. If I'm Rafa Nadal and I see this draw, I'm thinking awesome, especially because he's just kind of getting back into the swing of things. Had a tough match in um, in his last tournament there, obviously going down to, um, oh man, Born, if I had a long day, or what? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Eventual yep. winner, Borna Chorich. Sorry, I got the dad brain going on today. <laughs> no, that's quite all kids. right. Uh, but if I'm Nadal, this is as good as it's going to get. This is the best of the four quarters for sure. I've got him penciled into the semis to face either her catch or Alcaraz. Either one of those would make a fantastic best of five set match. It would be great to see him play Alcaraz. I think that'd be a super fun storyline. Maybe not so fun for him, but uh, depending on how his body is feeling, hopefully he's healthy. Uh, he, he's a big favorite to me to to win this tournament. If he's healthy, he's a big favorite to me. He's I haven't looked at the odds. I haven't looked at who everyone else is talking about. But mm-hmm. to me, uh, Nadal is definitely tops, especially because he's got a bit of an easier path to get there. You look at the top half of the draw, we're going to have some real tough fourth-round matches here. Uh, you know, Pass, Berrettini, Fritz against Rude, potentially, Medvedev, Kyrgios. These are all killers. These got five sets written all over them. So whoever comes out of the top half, I think, is going to be a little bit more worn down. And uh, I'll give you my pick right now to come out of it. And it's uh, Stefano Tsitsipas, the fourth seed. Really? Um, well, Stefano Tsitsipas seemed to overcome a, a big hurdle, I would say, the other week. He did, he lost to Borna Chorich in the final, but 
Daniil Medvedev has given him fits for the, you know, the majority of his career. He could never seem to solve Medvedev on a hard court and then he beat him. So he should carry some confidence from that. He's had kind of hiccups, I feel like, throughout the season that maybe we are waiting for that breakthrough. And I will say as the number four seed, his first few matches look pretty light and relaxed. He definitely should be comfortably getting uh, probably to the round of 16 before things get challenging. And Berrettini hasn't really been in particularly great form either. Of course, sadly missed Wimbledon because of COVID and hasn't looked sharp in, in his return. So that, that, that could be a good pick. Um, I, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to kind of move forward towards, um, you know, some dark horse candidates on the men's side mm-hmm. and uh, a little bit tougher, I think on, on the men's side, because I, I feel like the guys in the top 10 are, are the ones to really be looking out for here uh, in this tournament. But I've got Grigor Dimitrov down there just because he's been around for a while. He knows how to play in a major. Um, I, I think he could potentially, and I'm looking at his draw as well. And uh, Yannick Sinner in the third round, that won't be an easy one. But, you know, again, it's a bit of a long shot. Uh, Dan Evans, the 20th seed, has a nice section to get into. And and he beat Rublev and Fritz in Montreal recently. Those are two really big wins. Um, and Tommy Paul as well, I'll throw out there, is an American player who's going to get tons of home home support from the fans. And and he also played great in Montreal, beating uh, Alcaraz and, and Chilich. So I, I think some of those guys could potentially get into the second week and uh, and maybe cause a couple upsets too. Yeah, you, uh, you did take one of mine that I was definitely going to say Tommy Paul, who's had a great summer of tennis and has a pretty nice draw. And I, I think it really trouble Casper Ruud if that's a potential third round match. I will... Obviously mentioned just Borna Chorich, fresh off that title in Cincinnati. Now I he's guess so now, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean I mean the fact that he's returned to the top thirty after that tournament's just incredible. He raised over he jumped out over 120 spots and now he has the twenty-fifth seed, which is astounding. Uh so I think he faces a qualifier right off the bat. Could face Jensen Brooksby in the second round, which would be a very interesting match. And then we might see Chorich versus Alcaraz early in this tournament as well in the third round. So uh I'll, I'll keep my eyes open for that if that one happens uh in terms of a winner is are you picking rafa is that what i hear correctly yeah i think i have to Uh, i think what rafa's shown us over the past year is man this guy is as motivated as anybody and without djokovic there and uh, i'm not going to get into all those reasons that's uh, been long Mm. over overdone but uh, without djokovic there to me nadal's got the experience he's got the hunger the drive he's got a nice little section of the draw uh, that's who I'm going to go with feeling uh, as confident as I could feel with uh, with anyone, I think. Yeah, I, I do think we're going to get a rematch of the Australian Open final. I, I know Daniil Medvedev didn't win Montreal. He didn't win Cincinnati, but I feel like he's been playing and building himself into that top hardcourt form. He's getting there. The big challenge can he get through a Nick Kyrgios if he has to face him early? If he pulls that off, I, I think he's going all the way to the final. And we get a rematch, Danil versus Rafa. I'll I'll leave my prediction there. <laughs> it's going to be good either way. And uh, we'll be back in a week's time to do our mid-tournament uh, report at the U.S. Open. So be sure to check back uh, with us. Uh, I'll let you wrap it up for us in a moment. But again, uh, many thanks to Eric Heckman coach of Serena and Venus Williams for joining us. What a, what a great guest to get at uh, the perfect time as Serena enters into, I mean, he also said, who knows what could happen, but uh, what's very likely the final uh, professional tournament of her career. So thanks Eric for coming on with us. And we hope we, we have him again down the road and uh, Ben looking forward to this last grand slam tournament of 2022 and, uh, and, and a couple more episodes here on, on match point Canada.
Yeah, U.S. Open is absolutely, it honestly is my favorite slam of the year, uh, so I can't wait for it to get started. I'll just quickly mention both Vashik Pospisil and Jeannie Bouchard losing in the second round of qualifying. Uh, credit to Jeannie Bouchard, though, getting a win in the first round of qualifying, her first singles victory in over a year. Guys, we'll check in with you from the halfway point of the tournament. You've been listening to Matchpoint Canada. We will talk to you next time.